Yeah, so in some ways, the pandemic opened a new avenue for you that you didn't really expect. It sped up a process. We were always heading towards this virtual kind of environment. But yes, once so many other doors were closed, all my speaking engagements and everything like that went away, it allowed me through some trials to to really hone in and focus on what we wanted to do. And yes, coming out of the pandemic, we will be one of the, the stories that found opportunity amongst the chaos. One of the rules of Soundbite is to live in the present tense. Yes, you can be ambitious and think about your future. Yes, you can be proud of your accomplishments from the past. But if you aren't living your soundbite right now, it's not authentic. It's not accurate. That's Jedediah Collins and Sarah Harperson. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. We are visiting with two coaches today. One is coaching financial literacy. That would be Jedediah Collins. And the other is referred to as America's college counselor. I guess she would be a coach as well. And that would be Sarah Harberson. After spending seven seasons in the NFL, Jedediah Collins stepped away from the game he loved to pursue his other passion, helping people with their finances. Jedediah will be joining us in about 15 minutes. But first, Sarah Harbertson's mission in life right now is to help people get into the college of their choice. Now, it's always been a challenge, but the rules have changed. With the onset of COVID, and also there is a less reliance on the SAT and ACT scores to qualify. SAT stands for Scholarship Aptitude Test, and ACT, American Aptitude Test. Both these tests have been relied on heavily by universities and colleges' admissions office to decide who qualifies and who does not. That changes the dynamics of how to best approach getting into college. Sarah has written a book on the subject of admissions, and we'll talk about that during the interview. I just have some comments on, uh, let's say people are considering going into business for themselves. And one of the things that I like to express is that a personality trait that is strongly needed is flexibility. Now, the pandemic has proved that the more flexible a person is, the better they will be able to cope with the ongoing uncertainties of the virus. On March 15, 2020, James Fritzel and his two partners were getting set to reopen Cage and Tolner a newly renovated 140-year-old restaurant in downtown Brooklyn, New York. That's the day New York and the rest of the country shut down because of the pandemic. Now what? Mr. Fritzel, like most of us, retreated to his home. He was worried about going to the grocery store for fear of contracting COVID. He reached out to one of his vendors to see if they would deliver groceries. The co-op said they needed larger orders to make it cost-effective. So this James Fritzel sent social media inquiries out to the neighborhood in Brooklyn to see if any of his neighbors would be interested in getting deliveries from the co-op. The response was immediate and very positive. Now, Mr. Fritzel also owned a bar called Fort Defiance, which was also shut down because of COVID. But by mid-May 2020, Fort Defiance became the permanent store and distribution point for the co-op. Coping with uncertainties in business is the norm, and being flexible as a business owner is the only option. Oh, and by the way, 
Cage and Tolner will be opening again very soon. Now, I obtained this information from a New York Times column by Eileen Zimmerman in the April 11th edition. It's titled, Resilience Out of the Pandemic, Chances for Another Future. Back with Sarah Harberson in just a moment. You're listening to Voices of Experience with Paul Casey. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. One more time, visit VoicesOfExperience.com. All one word. All right. Well, I wanted to first ask about the SAT tests. It seems like it's on the way out. First of all, what is a SAT test? Just to review that for a moment. And why is it being eliminated? The most common standardized tests that are offered to high school students for the college admissions process is the SAT, which is offered through the College Board, or the ACT. Both tests are actually looked at equally in the admissions process. When the pandemic hit last spring, that is actually the time when most high school juniors take the SAT or ACT for the first time. When the pandemic hit, those testing sites were completely closed. And in some parts of the country, they still are closed. So last year, the vast majority of colleges in the U.S. made uh, standardized tests optional. So they call it a test optional policy. And in fact, uh, many of those colleges have announced that they are extending that test optional policy for next year as well. But we are starting to see some cracks in the the concrete when it comes to standardized tests. You can see how many colleges, even before the pandemic, had a test optional policy. So you can see that these test scores don't matter as much as they used to. Yeah, as a matter of fact, the uh, university that I went to here in the state of Washington, they just announced about three or four months ago they were eliminating them. Yeah, there are some colleges that are announcing what's called a test-blind policy, meaning students, even if they want to send scores, they're not going to be looked at or evaluated. So that shows you that standardized tests in general are really on, you know, they're really in danger in a lot of ways. And I think it's going to take a lot of time before every college eliminates testing, but it's definitely starting to lose its grip I want to ask you also about COVID and what the long-term effects will that be on colleges. Will the COVID still have a hangover effect on colleges? Yeah, I think financially speaking, most colleges are really struggling. You know, we hear about Ivy League schools getting enormous application increases, but most colleges, even those Ivy League schools, um, have really taken a significant financial hit because of COVID. Students aren't living in the dorms. They're, you know, taking virtual classes and colleges aren't able to charge them for every, you know, fee imaginable. And a lot of colleges have hiring freezes. They're eliminating academic programs. You know, it's going to take a while for many colleges to bounce back from this. And in fact, we probably will see some colleges who are already in, you know, some serious financial, you know, concerns even before pandemic, we'll probably see some colleges actually close their doors because the pandemic surely didn't help them. Um, But will the college experience be the same from here on in? I don't believe it will be. 
I think there are going to be extra precautions, just like there are going to be in every environment that we face. I also think that families are beginning to question, you know, is that college education worth sixty or $70,000 a year when they could be taking these classes from home and not having to pay all those extra fees? But still getting into college, it's very competitive and more competitive than ever to get in. What you submit is that, as your book talks about, is that it's all about a soundbite to present yourself in a clear and concise way because the admissions process is much more subjective than what most families think. So especially when we eliminate test scores, the only other objective criteria we have in the application would be the students' classes and grades. But, you know, after working in college admissions for half of my career at the University of Pennsylvania and also Franklin and Marshall College as the dean of admissions, you start to realize that test scores, GPAs, they don't get you into most of the selective colleges. They just keep you competitive in the applicant pool. What really separates one student from the next are going to be those subjective pieces. Um, Not only the letters of recommendation and the extracurricular activities and the essays and the interview, but a student's background, their upbringing, their family, their community, their race, their ethnicity, All of this is very subjective and a part of the admissions process. What I teach students to do is to really celebrate those things that make them different. Sometimes we like to hide uh, those things. Sometimes it's easier just to blend in or follow the crowd. But if you want to get into a highly selected college, if you want to get a great internship or job or get a book deal like I did, you've got to be different. And you've got to project that. But the truth is, Paul, that whether or not a student writes their own soundbite or follows it, those admissions officers are going to write a soundbite on those students no matter what. So when I was a entry-level admissions officer at Penn, I was trained on how to read an application quickly, provide an admissions decision. Are we going to admit the student, deny the student, waitlist the student, and provide a reason for my admissions recommendation. And that's what a soundbite is for an admissions officer. They have to sum up the student in a sentence or less. So when I'm working with you know students, but also adults come to me and they want a soundbite, I tell them one of the rules is I want it to be one sentence long, 40 words or less. And that's because you, know, you and I know when you're doing an interview, you gotta be quick. You gotta get right to the point. The same thing goes when you're doing a college interview. You're being interviewed by an admissions officer. You've got to spit out what makes you different. My soundbite as of this week, because my book just launched, is I am America's college counselor and the author of Soundbite. No one else in the world can say that they're America's college counselor. There are private college counselors working with really rich families only, but I'm the college counselor for all. My life has been writing a lot of radio copy, and you have 30 seconds or you have 15 seconds, and you have, you know, six of those seconds are just giving information of where people go, either call or go to the website or something like that. So that's always taken. So sometimes I've got nine seconds, eight to nine seconds, and I can't (laughs) tell you how long that eight or nine seconds takes to make. So you're exactly right. I I agree with you 100%. Yeah. And that's one of the rules about soundbite. It has to be concise. 
And this is very timely because now is the time that people should be accelerating their efforts to get into college if they're talking about going in next fall. They really don't have a lot of time to waste in terms of getting this process going. Yes, we have high school seniors. Most of them have heard uh, from colleges, but a lot of them have been waitlisted. So a lot of students will say, well, what can I do if I was waitlisted? I want to get admitted to X university. I tell them, write a letter. Write the best letter you've ever written. Make sure your soundbite is clear. The thing that makes you stand out is clear in that letter. And all for those high school juniors who are asking me about, you know, colleges and what to do. They should be putting together their soundbite right now because that could influence what they do this summer. If they want to study botany in college, wouldn't it be cool if they worked at a greenhouse this summer, for example, or did their own research? Or if they want to be a nurse, what kind of hands-on experience can they do even in COVID? Maybe it's simply being the nurse for their elderly grandparent. If you have a goal in mind, you want to make sure that you are experiencing that, that you are working towards that right now. One of the rules of Soundbite is to live in the present tense. Yes, you can be ambitious and think about your future. Yes, you can be proud of your accomplishments from the past. But if you aren't living your Soundbite right now, it's not authentic. It's not accurate. It's like Olivia Jade in the admission scandal saying that she is a nationally ranked rower, right, mm-hmm. in Southern California. Right. If we looked at herself and her application. We will be able to tell in a second that she wasn't being honest. Well, I guess that proves just once again that honesty is the best policy. My thanks to Sarah Harbison for helping explain the change in college admissions. Her book is called Soundbite, The Admissions Secret, that gets you into college and beyond. You can get the book on Amazon or all the other usual bookstore websites. Are you thinking about self-employment? Visit Amazon or order a book called Pre-Flight Checklist. Is self-employment for you? Pre-Flight addresses eight myths surrounding self-employment and includes a self-employment quiz. The higher you score, the higher your prospects for success. Visit Amazon Books and input Pre-Flight Checklist. That's Pre-Flight Checklist. Spending seven seasons in the NFL, Jedediah Collins stepped away from the game he loved to pursue his other passion, helping people with their finances. He started his own firm called Your Money Vehicle. When Jedediah was playing in the NFL, he observed that there were a lot of talented players on the field, but they fell short when it came to managing their money. So he was helping out some fellow players with their finances because he had a finance degree from Washington State University. And after that, he helped other people find their way in becoming financially competent. But mainly these people were ones that already were actually pretty well off financially. And so he started his own company called Your Money Vehicle. And it's directed towards younger adults. 
And I think of my own past, I really didn't have a lot of competency in finances at my early age, even after college. So again, your money vehicle is really designed to help young adults learning financial literacy. Jedediah, you have designed a course on financial literacy, as you call it. Explain what that means. Beginning of a solution just in the sense that this is, you know, this is not a course that is going to land you in, in millionaire status or answer all of your questions. It is, it is definitely something that is going to get the journey begun and give great education as well as activity. And then beginning to be adopted is being on high school and college campuses across the country, starting to get bigger clubs and programs to implement it and use it. Be able to tell groups that say, you know, we have 100 offices across the country or we have 5,000 students, we can supplement or we can uh, be able to deliver to them all. This has become your passion of financial literacy for people. And I think like myself in college, I didn't learn this stuff. And I, and I was way behind when I got out. And that's what you've been talking about and preaching for a long time. And I think that's really good. College is for great things, but sometimes the nuts and bolts get ignored. So what would be then your perfect client? Who would, who do you want to really target other than, let's say, within college campuses and uh, elsewhere? We're creating more courses always and obviously. But for this level one course, uh, I have some conversations with superintendents, OSPI, which is the Washington State School Superintendent. I would say ideal client for money vehicle is the state of Washington, just for an example, adopts the curriculum as a statewide course that all of their high schools can have access to this resource and tool. Each teacher on campus will still be the facilitator, but a lot of the knowledge, information, and delivery will be taken off of their plate, as well as the step-by-step process of how to integrate it into a a full-on semester curriculum. So that's, you know, where I really see it going is, you know, we're going to have to jump through an infinite number of hurdles and hoops, but having a state adopt the content as its, its standardized curriculum. And after doing all this, the student gets an online certification course on financial literacy, correct? So then you are able to put on your resume that you are, for this one, level one financial literacy certified through Money Vehicle and able to add that to the resume for college application or as you look at job application, you know, more and more corporate uh, groupings are starting to see how necessary financial wellness is and going to look at models like this to be able to use. So, yeah, so not only are you learning financial principles, which is absolutely enough, I think, for anybody to like me i mean that's that that's great right there but also you do have the literacy part of it yes so it's and where we stand alone uh is not just in the the storytelling and entertainment level but also the application so to be able to look at a an 18 year old and say hey here are 10 steps you should go do here are 10 actions you just watched, you went through a course teaching you why and how, or, or excuse me, why and what they are, but here's how to go do them. That is really, you know, going to be beneficial because everybody's saying, I don't even know where to start. Well, here's where you start. Here are the first 10 steps. 
Now, what would there be along those lines? Like, let's say just a three or four things that you see that people, whether they're students or anybody else, does not do to really try to enhance their financial literacy or their financial success in life? What, what do you see over and over again? Oh, that's tough. I would say from our course, the four of the action items um, that people typically do not do is number one, set goals, set intentions. You know, money is just as much mental as it is financial. Um, so really defining why you are doing something is going to help you in the journey. So I think goal setting, and, and we use a, an acronym, Rich Goals, uh, but we really target in on uh, a month, a week, or excuse me, a week, a month, and a year of what those goals are going to be. Not just, hey, I want to accumulate a bunch of money, but being specific about it. Uh, the second one would be the cash management system. We stay away from the B word budget uh, because budgets are limiting and kind of constricting. We really want to empower people to take control and cash management puts them in the driver's seat. So we have uh, a cash management system called the money buckets and being able to look at your paycheck and say, here are the five categories that this paycheck is going to be divided into. Not only that, I know exactly what and where my paycheck is going to start being divided again, based on those goals that I get to prioritize, which one's most important to me. Um, Number three would be the the foundational accounts, because this is a beginning level criteria. It would be, do you have your checking and savings, which we call a today and a tomorrow account, but do you have these baseline bank accounts, credit union accounts, however you're going to get them, because they are going to afford you the, the luxury of automation. Now that you've started to make decisions, started to dissect your paycheck, you got to be able to make those decisions repeatedly and through habits and routines. That's something we talk a lot about in the book um, and the course is what these decisions are going to do on a, a monthly basis. Those foundational accounts are going to be how you're able to control them and really uh, be, make them become habits. I would also throw a caveat in there as we encourage the first credit card because credit scores are such a powerful piece to the puzzle. And then the last one would be starting to make your money go to work for you. We, we repeatedly say, employ your money, employ your money, employ your money, looking at it not as just something that you go to work for, but as something that is going to start to work for you as an employee. And our recommendation is through a Roth account. We have uh, an entire chapter built around why that is the most advantageous. If we can get younger people to not just understand they need to, but then to go open the accounts, choose their first investment, it's going to lead to a tremendous amount of, of productivity. This isn't just for students. Anybody could take this, right? Absolutely. So it's it's not an age course. It's a where are you starting? If you are beginning in your financial journey and you're in your 30s or late 20s, this is a, an excellent course to just make sure you comprehend all the different facets uh, around money. Anything else before we go? It, it is just uh, an amazing alignment of stars right now where Money Vehicles Biggest Hurdle was always going to be virtual education not being as adopted or as successful. The, the pandemic and the times we're in has forced that card and that hand. 
and we're really being able to show uh, a course like this can make an impact just as as much as a course sitting in a, a class live. Yeah, so in some ways, the pandemic opened a new avenue for you that you didn't really expect. It sped up a process. We were always heading towards this virtual kind of environment. But yes, once so many other doors were closed, all my speaking engagements and everything like that went away, it allowed me through some trials to to really hone in and focus on what we wanted to do. And yes, coming out of the pandemic, we will be one of the, the stories that found opportunity amongst the chaos. That's a good place to leave that, Jedediah. Thank you so much for being here. That is Jedediah Collins, the founder of Your Money Vehicle. If you would like to check out Your Money Vehicle and see if it's something of value that you may want to pursue, Google Your Money Vehicle dash Jed Collins. Remember the Jed Collins. If you don't remember Jed Collins, you'll go to a page where rather than buying financial literacy, you'll be buying cars. On June 17, 1972, Frank Willis, a young security guard, reported for duty. Little did he know that before his shift was over, he would change the history of the United States. Frank Willis was making the rounds of what would become a very famous hotel. He saw something amiss. Duct tape was keeping two doors open in the basement. He removed the tape. During his next round, he saw the duct tape was put in place again. It was time to call the police. The police arrived at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. They searched offices and discovered five intruders. Their arrest triggered the Watergate scandal, culminating in the resignation of a president two years later. That's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, along with producer Benny Mathers. My thanks to Jedediah Collins and Sarah Harberson for sharing their wisdom and experience with us today. If you have any comments about the show or anything you hear and want to comment on, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. Please keep your comments short so I can get them on the air if you would like me to. Voices of Experience, what is it all about? People with experience in public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, and sports with an emphasis on entrepreneurship. I am a firm believer that experience is the best teacher in life. Again, my name is Paul Casey, along with Benny Mathers. Thanks for listening. Quote of the Week. America is the only country where a significant proportion of the population believes that professional wrestling is real, but the moon landing was faked. David Letterman